0: Come, Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts and cleanse our thoughts, that when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, he may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you and the Father, one God, world without end. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, last week when we met Jesus in the Scriptures, he was down in the valley, so to speak. He was down in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. He was walking along the shoreline at the Sea of Galilee where he found some fishermen. He was meeting them in the midst of their daily tasks and he was calling them to follow him. Immediately, we are told, they left everything, leaving behind the nets of fishermen For the higher calling of fishing for men. And Father Charles reminded us that following Jesus means going wherever He goes, even into the darkest of places. For if Jesus is going into the dark places, He's going there with a plan. His plan is to shine the light of His love and drive away that darkness that He might draw us to Himself. Well, today, Jesus bids us to follow him again, this time to follow him up, to join him at the top of the mountain, what we call the Mount of Beatitudes, leaving behind, even if only for a moment, the valleys of our daily lives where we can see, as it were, a more panoramic view. Mountaintops have that effect after all. From the peaks, we are able to see back into the valleys only differently than when we're actually in them. This picture behind me is the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Some of us were there a couple of weeks ago. Others of us have been there before. But whether you ever see this site for yourself or not, that's not really what's important. What's important is that we see Jesus, and in seeing Jesus that we see what He wants us to see. And what He wants us to see in the text this morning is what it means to be blessed by God. Now, the word blessed gets thrown around a lot in our culture, but it has a very specific meaning. It means to be favored by God. To be blessed means to be favored by God. And so the question we're addressing this morning is this, how do we know when we're blessed or favored by God? How can we know with certainty that when God looks upon us, He likes what He sees? So let's begin at the beginning. First Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's be clear. We're all poor in spirit. Everyone is poor in spirit. Said another way, none of us is perfect. We all know that deep down inside, something is wrong and it needs to be made right. Well, The Bible talks about this idea in another way. Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that we're blessed for being poor in spirit. He's saying that we're blessed when we recognize that we are poor in spirit. For as we all know, the first step in finding the solution is what? Admitting there's a problem. In other words, we are favored by God. We are blessed by God when we recognize that we have a problem that we are poor in spirit, that I am poor in spirit, that we're broken, and we can't fix it on our own. But admitting the problem alone doesn't solve the problem, does it? We have to do something about it. So what does Jesus invite us to do? He invites us to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How do we know that we are favored or blessed by God when we are truly sorry, truly sorry for what we've done? When we recognize that when we sin, we hurt others, we hurt ourselves, and we hurt the God who made us all. Blessed are those who admit to God that there is a problem. Blessed are those who say to God that they are sorry for what they have done. Now, hopefully, we're beginning to see that Jesus is taking us on a journey, an inward and upward journey, if you will, to the examination of our souls, looking at who we are, examining how we are living in the sight of God. And with this in mind, my friends, what I'm about to say next is critical for us to understand. Because let's face it, some never get this far. Some never go to God with their problems. However, for others, this is about as far as they get. Maybe they recognize that something is wrong. Maybe they truly feel sorry for what they have done. But rather than stay on the journey, they try and pull themselves up by their own moral bootstraps and keep going. Continuing the same patterns, repeating the same problems, living in this endless cycle of futility. But Jesus calls us to press in, to go further, to continue the climb because he knows we are not there yet. Blessed are the meek, he says, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? I suppose I could preach a whole sermon on that alone, but I'll simply say this. The meek are the ones who finally stop insisting on their own way. The meek are the ones who realize that they can't fix their problems on their own, and they're ready to stop doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results. I think we have a word for that definition. I won't say it out loud. Come see me afterward if you're struggling with that idea. The meek are the ones who surrender their will to God's will, even as Jesus himself did. Not my will, but thine be done. And the next beatitude confirms this truth. Blessed are those. Favored by God are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How many of us long to be satisfied? I dare say all of us. To find that rest, to be refreshed, to be restored. The answer is found not in the hunger or in the thirst, for we all hunger and thirst, but the answer is found in the only one who can satisfy that hunger and thirst Jesus Christ Himself, who is the righteous one. So let's stop for a minute. And let's think of these first four Beatitudes as a type of invitation. Think of them as Jesus calling us to come up out of the valley of the shadow of death. And as we ascend, we are looking at Him, and He is looking at us. And He's showing us each and every step toward our salvation now, climbing a spiritual mountain is never easy, but it's always good. And yes, that's an absolute. It forces us to confront the many challenges of our lives. We must steel our mind with determination. We must fit our body to the task. We can neither allow any emotional unrest to distract us nor any spiritual warfare to prevent us from the goal. It's as if Jesus is saying, Place one foot here with those who are poor in spirit. In your next step, place one foot there with those who are mourning. Take my yoke upon you with those who are meek and mild, and now sit here with me at the top of the mountain and allow me to satisfy your hunger and your thirst with the bread and the wine of my righteousness. And in His presence, as we find rest for our weary souls in the healing balm of His love, and when we arrive at the top of the Mount of Beatitudes, and as we sit with Him, something else begins to happen to us. Soon that we find that we are not just looking at Him, but soon that we find that we are looking Him. With him. We are now gazing back down into the valley at those who are still there with his eyes, with his heart, and with his love. And there he continues to speak to us See that one? See that one down there? See that one who is in need of mercy? Go and show that one the same mercy. That I have shown to you blessed are the merciful he says to us favored by God are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and Lord we cry how do I do that I don't even I don't even know if I'm fit for the task blessed are the pure in heart Jesus then says for they shall see God In other words, look upon them. Look upon that one in the valley in the same way that I have looked upon you. Look past their faults and see their needs. Meet them in that place of brokenness and help them to turn it into something beautiful just as I have done for you. One of my favorite lines, maybe of all time, but certainly one of my favorite lines from Les Miserables is this. To love another person is to see the face of God. Need I say more? Jesus says a little bit more. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says next, for they shall be called sons of God. What is it that Jesus came to do? Jesus came for the purpose of peace, and there's only one way. There is only one way that peace works. First, we must be reconciled to God ourselves, and then, and only then, can we get about the work of reconciling others to God and then being reconciled to them ourselves. Our tour guide in Israel was a man named Sammy. I've toured with Sammy three times. He's an amazing man. I wish I had half of his energy. He's a fine Christian man. Sammy was born and raised in Jerusalem. Think of that. For Sammy's entire life, for his whole Christian life, he has seen and lived Firsthand, the struggles and strife of division and death right there in the Holy Land. Sammy has lived that. And in light of these very painful and personal tragedies that he experiences every day, this is what he said to us. It's what he has said to us every time I have gone on this pilgrimage with him. He says, if Jews and Muslims would just find Jesus, all of this fighting would end in 30 days or less. If Jews and Muslims would just find Jesus, all of this fighting would end in 30 days or less. Think of that, think of that. My friends, mountains change us. They transform us. To ascend the mountain is to do battle with ourselves. It is to rise from the valley of the shadow of death and to confront our own habits and patterns of sin, fixing our eyes on Jesus all the way to the top as he fixes his gaze on us for the salvation of our souls. But to descend the mountain is altogether different. To go back into the valley is a different kind of journey. To go back into the valley is to take with us the love, the mercy, and the grace that Jesus has given to us, and it is to give it to others who are still struggling in their sins, get this, no matter the cost to ourselves. To go back into the valley is to gird up our loins and to do battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so with a final word, Jesus says to us, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Favored by God are you when others revile you, when they persecute you, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets in the same way who came before you. I was looking at Charles because he gave me this very powerful image this morning. And that seems appropriate. He said, none of us, walks into the face of a sandstorm thinking that's a blessing but if we know what's on the other side and we know that's the way we're supposed to go we keep going forward i think it was winston churchill who also said if you're going through hell keep going i want to say this fellow christians because I think this is in line with the trajectory of everything that Jesus is saying to us this morning. What is the best way to, to know when that you are blessed or favored by God? What is the most sure and certain sign that who you are and what you're doing is favored by God? It is to get in the game. It is to get in the game to stand on the shoulders of the saints and the martyrs who have gone before us and to preach the gospel, to declare the saving grace of Jesus Christ in season and out of season. For as the Bible tells us, there is no other name under heaven and earth. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which we are saved. After we worship together this morning, we will have our annual parish meeting, all are welcome to attend. Members and guests alike, we have some pretty good food we're going to offer you, so hopefully that's a compelling reason to stay. But at that meeting, we will prepare and position ourselves to do the work that God has given us to do in 2023 and beyond. So in light of that meeting in this message, I'd actually like to draw to a close with some words from Teddy Roosevelt who spoke them to call a people and a nation and even the world to a higher standard for a better future, and he said this, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause, who knows at the best and knows at the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. My friends, the call, the charge, and the challenge of the Christian is like this. In the same way, then, when we take these words of Jesus and we put them into practice, His promise to you and me is this. It will cause us to rejoice. And it will cause us to be glad. Why? Because you will know When you take these words of Jesus and you put them into practice, you will know that you are free from the bondage of sin and death. And you will know that you have helped to free others from their bondage of sin and death by your witness. And for this reason, Jesus says, your reward in heaven will be great. Because you will have God's own assurance that in the very same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. And by this, you will know, my friends. You will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are favored by God and that you are blessed.